and Amanda got a frantic phone call from Ange, and she said, he's dead, somebody's killed him. Hello, and welcome back to Foster Care, an Unparalleled Journey, with Jason and Amanda Palmer. This is episode two of Standing with Turtle. On this episode, we step into a second year of life and see the craziness that this poor little guy had to endure. If you haven't already, go back and listen to episode one, and you'll be filled in on a lot of different pieces. Also, be sure to go and check out our website at jasonmpalmer.com and the Facebook page at shecalledmedaddy.com. If that page isn't up anymore, look for Foster Care, an Unparalleled Journey. Also, if you're using iTunes, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and leave us a review. You can also find this podcast on Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and many other places. Be sure to leave us a rating and review wherever it is, so other people can find the content. Thanks, and let's jump right into the story. And and that's what men caused for G. Yeah. You know, uh, and it wasn't just you. It was it was all men. It was. It was every man that he ever met. And so, you know, and fortunately by that time, I was aware enough of those sorts of things to where I didn't really push it per se. I would offer myself to him as as somebody to hold him or as somebody to to feed him or somebody to have some interaction with. But I worked really hard at not forcing that on him because I knew that his aversion to men wasn't a choice he made. His aversion to men was a choice. It was a reaction to the choice that other people had made. It wasn't his fault. He was, he was a kid who'd been damaged by adults who hadn't chosen to behave properly. Oh, that's a pretty crazy first year. Yeah. For anybody. The worst part is, is that the first year is just like kind of the getting started point like the end of the first year was really the worst piece of it and it it ended with a real bang um not literally necessarily but we got a phone call one day and this was actually the day that we left our laundry in the uh in the laundromat to go pick up g and amanda got a frantic phone call from Ange, and she said he's dead somebody's killed him and we were kind of like, huh? What? Mm-hmm. What's going on, Ange? Yeah, my heart sank. Yeah, who's dead? Who killed? Wait, who who killed who? Well, come to find out, G's dad had been found with a heroin needle in his neck. At least that's a story we heard. I never heard any differently from anybody else, but we weren't really witnesses to that whole thing. But she was all up in arms and convinced that somebody had murdered him and put a heroin needle in his neck and killed him and taken all the money out of his pocket. I cannot vouch for the veracity of that. I I don't know if if that's what happened, if that's what she thought happened. I honestly don't know. All I know is that... The fact we know is is that he was dead. Yeah, his dad was dead, and she was holed up in a hotel in a area just outside of St. Louis that... I, I mean, I work in St. Louis a lot. I know the neighborhood... 
it's not the worst neighborhood of St. Louis by far, but it's not a great place. So we went to go pick up Jeannie. She asked us if we could pick up the baby and keep him for a couple days while they got things sorted out. And so well, that's why we left our laundry in the laundry mat and we said, let's go. And it was about, about 45 minute hour long drive to get out there. And uh, so we, we just more or less dropped what we had and took off and headed to the city and picked up G. By that time, we had kind of moved out in the country a little ways. And that gave us a nice buffer zone between any of that kind of insanity that where people are ending up dead and, and all that. And so we went out to get him. And she was up in the hotel room. And um, we went in there. And fortunately, there were no other issues that day. We... We just stopped and picked him up, and Amanda, I, I said... No, the, the only issue that day was, is after we left, we went back to get our laundry, and at that point, we were able to really start interacting with G, because before that, it was just, it was car ride. She really had no interest in us visiting and staying and consoling her. We really had no interest in doing that either, so we get back to the laundromat, looking over the baby, I always check him over make sure he's okay and everything like that. And the one thing is, is he was so relaxed. I mean, he, he's more relaxed than Snoop Dogg ever is. (laughs) He was just so lethargic and relaxed. And we were actually talking and contemplating, okay, what do we do with this? You know, do we go to the hospital? Do we do this? Do we do that? And by about the time we had started to formulate a plan, he really started to come around, and we thought our best course of action would be another hotline call. So another another call was placed. Uh, I honestly, I, I can't tell you how many hotlines we did. I know there was at least a handful. And, and what, what she means by that, in case you're not familiar, a hotline call, at least in the state of Missouri, is where you call the child abuse hotline. I think it's actually a national number that you call. But as a foster family, one of the things we are is we are mandated reporters, which means that if you see or suspect abuse, you're required by law to report it. That is part of what we have to do. And, you know, the idea there is that we've had a little bit of training and quite a bit of experience. And we can see, we can see a lot of those signs of, of damage, of, uh, of abuse and neglect. And so we're required to report those because we know a thing or two about what that looks like. So those are the hotline calls we were making. But you also get judged for that, too. I've had plenty of people. How could you do that to someone you consider family? How could you do that to your kin? How could you do that to your family? Well, how could I not? Right. How could I not take care of this little boy who, who needed us to protect him? He needed someone to protect him and take care of him. You know, and the best case scenario is, is that she, you know, somebody hotlines and, and she has to deal with the state trying to, trying to push her to get her life cleaned up. If she can do that and get her life cleaned up, that's the best possible thing for that little boy is to have a clean mom who's taking care of him. Honestly, I I never felt bad about making the calls. I know a lot of people are, are against calling the cops on somebody that sort of thing but this had nothing to do with all that macho bs about you know i'm not calling the cops i'm not ratting anybody out the truth is is if if the hotline calls hadn't been made at any point you know you never know when 
when that could have been the difference between his life and death. I mean, he already had one sibling who died at two weeks old. And nobody will ever know exactly what happened there or why. She was asleep when, when they found the baby. So nobody knows for sure what happened there. And that could have been G's story too. So there's no such thing as like, I don't call the cops on anybody. When you're putting a baby's life in danger like that, man, forget about all that stuff. I'm taking care of the kid. He can't, he can't take care of himself. And if, if the, her troubles cause her to have to deal with the, a state agency that forces her to get her life clean, that's even better for her. Well, the thing is, is if, if nothing's wrong and nothing's going on, then it's not a big deal anyway. You know, if you're doing the right thing, then there there's no issue there. Absolutely. We've been hotlined before. Yep. We had a family member get mad at us once and, and called to the child abuse hotline and said we were medically neglecting our child. And um, it all stemmed from an argument that, that my wife had had earlier in the day. And, you know, Children's Division came out to our house later that evening because she must not have called till fairly late. Well, and we had been gone all day. And, yeah, and they showed <laughs> but, up at like 10 o'clock But at regardless, night. I mean, foster families are hotlined all the time. All the time. Teens get mad when you don't let them have their way or their phone. Biological families get mad when you don't agree to this or that. So it, it's very, very common. And, and the state knows that. You know, the, the workers see that all the time. So they don't treat you necessarily right off the bat like you're a horrible human. They come in to look and see what's going on. And that's what they did with us. And at the end of it, they said, you know, we, we got a letter in the mail a month or so later that said, you know, this investigation is closed. And as far as we can tell, the allegations are entirely unfounded. And they were. It was just somebody angry with us getting trying to get even with us. So it's, you know, the, the hotline thing, it kind of works both ways. But... That's what it's there for, is to protect a kid. And unfortunately, the system does get abused, but it's there for a good reason. So we put up with it. So after we went to pick up G from, from the hotel, we uh, we kept him for a little while before the funeral. I think we had him the entire time up until his dad's funeral. Yeah, it, it took a little while for the funeral to, to be arranged and everything like that, uh, as you can imagine. Um... Drugs and gangbangers don't typically have life insurance policies. Life insurance. So collections and things like that were set up to try to be able to have a small funeral. Yeah, so we, we they got the mind together and had it planned out. And we really didn't have a choice as to whether or not to bring the baby. At that point, we, had, we still had no real legal footing to stand on as far as keeping him away from any of that, that craziness in his life. So we had to bring him to the funeral. The funeral was in a neighborhood in St. Louis that's known for its danger. So I wasn't terribly comfortable going into this neighborhood, let alone taking my wife with me. Let alone taking my wife and a baby with me. And our oldest daughter, Arissa, was with us as well that day. We went to this funeral in a on one of the bad neighborhoods of St. Louis. And Jermaine's affiliation was, well documented at his funeral because there was a whole section of the uh, mourners that were kind of color-coded in their clothing we'll say so you walk into the funeral home and it's pretty obvious that you're at a gang member's funeral and my anxiety level was notably high that day and we walked in and sat down and me and amanda had 
had kind of talked about ahead of time because one of the things that a lot of people don't know, and I don't know how much it still goes on, I know the best way to, to kind of get even with your rival gang is to go to their one of their gang members' funerals and walk in and kick the casket over and shoot the place up. And that had me a little bit, a little bit on high alert just to be certain we didn't get caught in the crossfire of that. So we walked in and scoped out a spot with a tactical seating position where we could kind kind of find a um, a couple pillars that sat between us and a couple of the entrances. We sat down and talked, you know, talked together, made a plan. Where's the entrances? Where's the exits? If you see anybody walking in dressed in this color, you know, we need to go out the opposite exit. And here's how we're going to get out. You know, here's what I want to do with the, you know, with the baby. Pretty much, we got to put him like a football in your arm, and we're running like a linebacker to get out of this mess. You know, the car's outside, and if you're in a driver's seat, or if I am, you make a, a right out of the parking lot. There's an interstate right there. I don't care which way you turn. You hit that interstate, and you go to you see flashing lights behind us, or you hit triple digits, either one, and put some distance between the place. But it was one of those moments where you sit back and you look at a, you look at this is a funeral, right? Like. Supposed to be paying your respects and saying goodbye. Yeah, but instead we're we're setting up tactical extraction plans to make sure that we can get out alive. It it was kind of one of those crazy moments where you just look at it and go, "No, nobody's supposed to live this way. Nobody's supposed to deal with these sorts of things in these moments." But that's where that wasn't for us. We did it all for one little boy. Well, yeah. Yeah, but that's where that lifestyle leaves you, and and that was what what G had grown up in. You know, that really painted a picture of where his life came from and where he was headed because, I mean, let's be honest, when you grow up in that, it's hard to get out of that life. It really is. We were beyond nervous for that funeral, but everything managed to go off without a hitch. There were no real issues there. They had a little get-together right after that. And we were polite and spent a few minutes there. And then talked to Ange. And she said, can you keep the baby for a little while longer while I finish getting stuff? And we're like, yeah. Because I really didn't want to leave him in this town anyways. So we, we got in the car and left. And he stayed with us for, what, about a week or two after that? Yeah, probably right about two weeks he stayed. And then we finally got that. That fateful phone call that I always dread, her calling and saying she wanted him back. Yep, so he went back with her, but it wasn't until, it wasn't but about two weeks later, I think, that we got another phone call from her that said, hey. Oh, it's frantic. What was it? The police took the baby. I, I can't find him. I don't know where my baby is. Let's, let's find my baby. She was just in hysterics. She didn't know who took him, what county, no information to give give us other than authority figures had came and they had taken G. Yeah, and so if I remember right, that was on a Friday. And we Yeah, sp- early Friday morning. Yep. And we spent I well, I spent most of that Friday morning on the phone with a couple different counties that are in the same circuit, but they're hard to get a hold of cuz it's a rural county and it doesn't have a whole lot of staffing, so it was hard to get a hold of somebody. And they don't know who I am, really. They don't know me from Adam really so getting them to tell me anything was kind of difficult and we were calling around 
because I happen to know, because we're foster parents, that one of the requirements that the state has is they're supposed to look for a family placement in the first 72 hours. They're supposed to really focus on finding a family placement. And at the time, we were already a licensed foster care family. And one of the counties down there, one of the two counties I was talking to, was actually a county that we had fostered a kid from. So our Two fo- kids from. Two kids, that's right. Our foster care license was, was active. They could see it. They had our home study in their office. So I knew that we had all our ducks in a row to be able to take care of things from there. And it wasn't until late that afternoon probably close to five o'clock it was almost quitting time before i finally got any real information and confirmation from somebody that said hey yes we do have him he yes is he is in a placement in our county and no we can't get him get him to you this weekend so we had to wait until the following monday to go pick him up man that was a long weekend yeah it was that was one of those <laughs> one of those weekends that just kind of drugged because but i mean it, we knew he was safe he was he was with a foster family so at least we knew he was safe. He was in care, but he was safe for the weekend. But it's also, it it's hard because we knew. We knew how hard that would be for G. Yeah. To be around people that he did not know. As, as much as that boy hated being around people he didn't know, as much as he didn't like being around people that he did know a lot of times, you know, he was, he was almost antisocial at that age. He really was, and so we knew that that would be a rough weekend for him, but he did a really good, you know, well, I don't know if he did a good job of putting up with it. We weren't there for it. You know, he made it through it, and we made it through it with some added stress levels on both sides, I'm certain. Yeah, so come come early Monday morning, you had to go to work, um, but I got in the car as soon as possible. As soon as we got all the other kids off to school, I hopped in the car, and I made the, what, the two-hour trip? That what it yeah. is two two and a half hours. It's about an it's between an hour and a half and two. I think it's it's a good long trip. I don't think it took you more than forty five minutes to do that drive though. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I may have broken the speed limit a time or two, but hey, don't admit can't that. Can't prove it. Don't admit that on tape. <laughs> can't prove it. I didn't get a shiny white ticket or anything out of the deal, so. But but yeah, and you don't want to speed on those roads. That's some of the. Some of the roads leading down towards southern Missouri, that's windy two-lane. But but she flew down there and got G picked up and was able to bring him back home. And, you know, he was finally in a safe place where we knew where he was. As a matter of fact, it was rural enough that she was probably 45 minutes up the road before she was able to call me and tell me that she had him and they were on their way back because there's just not enough cell service down there to do anything more than make the phone ring once before it hangs up. Here's a quick clip of episode three of Standing with Turtle next week on foster care, an unparalleled journey. It's not a good diagnosis. And so during that whole time, we were going through this stuff while she was in the hospital fighting for her life. So to talk about putting stress on top of stress, we're trying to protect this little boy from such a dangerous place and watching a little girl that called us mommy and daddy dying in the hospital. This has been episode two 
of Standing with Turtle from Foster Care, an unparalleled journey. Thanks for listening in, guys. Be sure to go by the website at jasonmpalmer.com and check out the Facebook page, She Called Me Daddy. Or, if that page is no longer there, it'll be Foster Care, an unparalleled journey. If you're listening on iTunes, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Otherwise, you can find this podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and many other outlets. You'll also find links to it at my website. As always, if you know of any children who are in danger of being abused and neglected, please call your local police or the foster care hotline at 1-800-4-A-CHILD. That's 1-800-4-A-CHILD. the number four, a child. <laughs>